Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. And today we're taking a little field trip to the planet of Fallujah. Also a little field trip to either 1587 or 1954 Japan. Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. I had not discovered which era of Japanese cinema we were making an homage to, so mm -hmm. thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, it's it's especially notable in this episode, which is season two, episode 17, Bounty Hunters, because before anything else, before the fortune cookie, before the stinger, before the song, it is dedicated to... Akira Kurosawa. Yep. Who Who is that? Uh... He is was the one of the most prolific and famous Japanese film directors, mm. and he wrote The Seven Samurai. Oh, cool. Which is the direct inspiration for this, as well as The Forbidden Kingdom, which is the direct is one of the direct inspirations for episode four, A New Hope. Neat. Mm -hmm. I had a feeling we were making an homage to someone important to the Lucasfilm universe, but I didn't know what the connection was. Yeah, Kurosawa films often involve tropes and uh, like good guys, bad guys, anti-heroes working together. And then they also have the fool and all these like archetypes. Mm -hmm. And so it is very much such that in the original trilogy, C-3PO and R2-D2 are like the archetypes of the fools the village idiots but they're also the ones who always say the insightful things and they don't have an impact on the story except that they do because they narrate it and we the audience perceive what's going on through them mm, that's cool kind of like a wisdom from the mouth of babes sort of thing yeah or a greek chorus yes. so it's not a new thing but it is definitely and like in its plot almost exactly what inspired this episode that is extremely cool. Okay, so let's get into the plot. Mm -hmm. So we're on Fallujah. A medical station is under attack and has lost contact mm -hmm. with the Republic. And that is basically the thinly veiled plot that we're using to get Anakin, Ahsoka, and Obi-Wan out somewhere in the mid-rim and dumped there for the entirety of the episode. Yeah, they're flying in a T-6 Jedi shuttle, which is a big one. It's a got a spinny wing a big mm. c-shaped spinny wing that flies around it don't get too attached because anakin's flying not two <laughs> seconds later our three faves go to investigate they're immediately attacked by vulture droids mm -hmm. the vulture droids hit the plasma conduit the important MacGuffin. yes okay yes thank you for that and then we get a classic clone wars crash landing because mm -hmm. it's of, anakin a lot of fun banter of everyone yelling at anakin he's like we live every time and they're like you crash every single damn ship and he's like we live <laughs> it's the ship's fault are we winning yet <laughs> yeah <laughs> so okay they all eject from the ship in little bouncy pods in life-sized bouncy balls Things I never knew I needed. Obi-Wan making like middle-aged man groans because his back hurts because he just got tossed around by a giant life-size bouncy ball that saved his life. Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like the nicest way to deorbit yourself. But... I thought it was fabulous. I was into it. The cool thing is that the Vulture droids are swooping in to hit our mm -hmm. faves. And then Anakin, you know, they eject. And then the Vulture droids hit this spiky plant pillar yeah so native to Felucia. they're also defeated but they're stranded on Felucia, they're which stranded. is a deep jungle planet and they immediately are arguing about which direction to go when they see some ginormous monsters 
walking around. They're either like the Titans from Hercules or they're like life-size Cacnea Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) They they actually look like tattooed Rancors a little bit. Oh, okay. I don't know what they are. That feels correct. Yeah, more of a Star Wars monster. Feels correct. We'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) So Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka make their way to an abandoned village. Ahsoka's the one who sees the smoke on the horizon, and she's like, okay, doofuses. Yeah. Get in, losers. We're going to this abandoned village. I can't take you guys anywhere. (laughs) So they go to the village. The village appears to be abandoned, but also, like, not. Mm -hmm. It's not abandoned. It's just there's no one there. There's a crop of nicillum that Mm -hmm. is ready to harvest. All the tools are scattered around as if people are ready to harvest it. But there's no one around. Until going through the village, which is a it's a really cool village. All the houses I like. So the beautiful. They're like. pod style. They're like Scandinavian meets Japanese design. There's big windows and natural light. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I'm obsessed. <laughs> I'm obsessed with them. And they find a funky ship in the barn, but then still can't find anyone until they open up one of the basements and find a bunch of Kermit the frogs? Yeah, they're like little tur- turtle people. With big butts. Yeah, I mean, all you can tell that a creature is not meant to be taken seriously in the Star Wars universe if it has a big butt. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Except for, notable exception, King Kentunko of Toydaria. Yeah. Okay. He has a big butt and I take him very seriously. <laughs> Number one OG Kentunko head here. <laughs> so what happens is... Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka find these little Kermit people, Mm -hmm. and then a bunch of bounty hunters, like, poke guns against the back of their heads. Mm -hmm. It turns out the villagers have hired a team of ragtag bounty hunters to protect them from a group of pirates who want the Nicillum crop. Well, three of them are ragtag. One of them's Embo. One of them is Embo. (laughs) Holy moly! So we've got the leader, who is a either Iridonian or Dathomirian. She's a peach-colored, Darth Maul-looking one. We've got a sniper person. We've got a tiny dude in a big Hulking suit. suit of armor. And then we've got Embo, who is eight feet tall, refuses to speak any language except for his terrifying, like, garbled language. He's a big metal hat. It looks like a rice hat. And he uses, like, a Wookiee bowcaster or something. And he... Yeah, and he'll frisbee his hat at you and, like, deflect blaster bolts mm-hmm. while he snaps your neck. So immediately, Obi-Wan starts negotiating. And he's like, I don't care. I just need, we just need to get off this planet because we need to let the Republic know that it's fallen to separatists. Yeah. He's like, sorry about your problems. Mm -hmm. We have other ones. We need to dip. And then Anakin and Ahsoka are like, hang on, these villagers are going to die or lose their harvest or their livelihood. Yeah. Or their livelihood. And Mm -hmm. this will keep happening. Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan straight up doesn't care. Well, he has an important point, which is that. If we get involved, the Separatists will punish them. That is an excellent point. There are so many callbacks, Sam, to the Lurman arc. Yeah. And I really feel like Obi-Wan was almost carrying forward some guilt about everyone getting involved in the Lurman pacifist struggle. He wasn't there, but I assume Anakin and Ahsoka told him about it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, they they were AWOL for days. Yeah, that's true. So we'll, we'll have to talk about that. Mm-hmm. The point is moot because, hold on to your britches, 
Hondo Onaka shows up. He's the pirate. He's the pirate, and his pirates are the pirates of mm-hmm. which we are speaking. And Obi-Wan is willing to, and it's a very awkward moment because Honda's like, Obi-Wan, Anakin, so you good to see you again. You came all this way to see little old me? And they're like, wait a minute, you two know each other? <laughs> um, but Obi-Wan tries to negotiate with Hondo. To, and he has really good points to negotiate with Hondo. Well, first of all, Hondo characteristically is trying to wheel and deal the main bounty hunter. And then Obi-Wan steps in. Mm-hmm. He's like, dude, we just want to ride. Yeah. We don't want to get involved in this at all. Just drop us off. We'll mm-hmm. pay you handsomely. But then Hondo also characteristically threatens the leader of the village. And Anakin is like, okay. And only accepts cash. He does only accept cash. None yeah. of this Republic credit nonsense. Yeah. Anakin's like, I've had it. Oh, to my clavicle with this nonsense. Mm-hmm. He decides that the Jedi should train the villagers to fight. Which leads to some very funny training montages I with their freaking space love rakes. training montages so much. I can't even explain to you how much I love villagers like holding their quarter staffs upside down. Mm-hmm. So great. Ahsoka trains them on slingshots. Yep. Anakin trains them on staffs. And Everyone else is like setting up traps and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're getting ready to put things in when they see a scout at the on top t- of the ridge. And Embo resolves that situation. Holy moly. Someone's running away on a speeder bike. Embo chases them down on foot and uh, kills them <laughs> brutally. And, yeah. Yeah. Just rips, just basically rips their head off. Kind of peak efficiency, I yeah. would say, over here. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. When the scout doesn't report back, though, Hondo is like, Okay, jerks, it's time to tango. Yeah, what does he say? Uh, speak softly and drive a big tank. Just another delightful, fabulous Hondoism. <laughs> Which, I mean, this tank is one of the few. I mean, this one still has uh, Jar Jar juice inside of it because he drove no! it most recently. Oh, oh my God. Jar Jar got a kill with this one. So it's uh... horrifying. <laughs> I. I keep trying to block that episode out of my mind, Sam. I keep trying to pretend that it never happened. I'm afraid not. You have to deal, like we all do, with the guilt of always cheering for Jar Jar, always thinking he's like the wonderful foil and realizing he's got a half-decent kill count. I'm going to go do some penance at the Church of Jar Jar. I'll be back. He's he's above C-3PO, that's for sure. That's for sure. Anyway, epic battle scene all around this gorgeous village. Yeah. And the villagers are actually doing pretty okay. Yeah, there there's definitely a fair bit of damage being taken, particularly amongst the bounty hunters. The sniper yes. one apparently gets killed. And, oh, really? Well, we don't see her in the ending scene. Yikes. So, yeah, she takes a tank shell. There's a scene where Embo gets hit hard and they have to take him back to the barn. He's KO'd. Mm -hmm. And Anakin runs up and is fighting with Hondo, who has a Electro staff that the IG... What are they? The Magna Guards. Magna Guards have, yeah. Not to mention, it's two to one because Hondo's freaking pirate, parrot, lizard, monkey thing is just doing the most just being a little malice gremlin it jumps on anakin's face and anakin's like what i can't like and that's the way to go after a jedi like i feel go like this for the is, face yeah because they can't knock something off their face with their own lightsaber unless they want to like you Get know an emergency nose job <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that's a that's a tough break so yeah anakin's doing what he can he's holding mm-hmm. his own 
By the end of the battle, they're actually in a Lion King moment. Hondo's dangling off the edge of the cliff, and mm -hmm. Anakin's deciding whether to spare his life or not. And everyone's watching from that point. Yeah. But the monkey lizard gets behind the tank gun again. Yes. Shoots at Anakin. Anakin is blown off the cliff, lands gracefully. Somersaults down. Mm -hmm. So cool. And Hondo says... Would you like to do the big line? I think... <laughs> This effort is no longer profitable. <laughs> and then he leaves as if that, I mean. And then he jumps in his UFO mm -hmm. and flies away. Yeah. And I, I love that because that is Picondo. Like he acts like that's the most, uh, that's the best gotcha he's got. Like that's the best combat Hondo has ever had in his life is this effort is no longer profitable. And you're like, okay, okay Is dude. this Picondo Onaka? <laughs> this is Picondo. Whoa. Yeah. Well, and that's pretty much the episode. Mm -hmm. Our three musketeers kind of finally get their ride back to the Republic outpost. Mm -hmm. They've sort of made friends with the remaining bounty hunters. Yeah. Uh, and the village leader, Casus, says, For the first time that I can remember, my people no longer have to be afraid. Mm -hmm. Which I think dovetails nicely with the fortune cookie. Mm -hmm. Courage makes heroes, but trust builds friendship. Yeah, and it did also feel like the Jedi made really good friends with the bounty hunters over time, which I thought was interesting because they started off all just like blasters pointed at each other. There are some really interesting moments back and forth between them. There definitely are. I'm excited to talk about them. What did you notice in this episode? What stuck out to you? Well, the plot is so... Uh, I mean, so the Seven Samurai, the original work here tells basically an identical story in 1587 japan and there's a bunch of ronin so ronin are masterless samurai they don't work for anyone so they're pretty disgraced and dishonorable oh really mm -hmm. are they skillful yes yes they don't have uh, so like you know basically the way it worked in japan was you're part of like a different class a caste kind yeah, of yeah a caste okay. And only if you were a samurai could you be a cast who carried a weapon. But if you weren't working for someone, you were a ronin and you were very, very dishonored and basically an outlaw. And so, and it was really incumbent on you to pledge your allegiance to someone. But hmm. oftentimes ronin were, you know, outlaws and scoundrels. Interesting. So you're not disgraced because you lack skills. You're only disgraced because you could turn on anybody at any moment? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and in a way, that mirrors the relationship between a bounty hunter and a Jedi, because mm. the leaders of both of them, which I believe it's uh, Suji, Sugi, Sugi, Sugi and Obi-Wan, have a lot of conversations about that as well. They do. About, like, you think just because I'm a bounty hunter that I'm dishonorable, and that, or Sugi says, the war you started. And Obi-Wan's like, well, hold up. We're just defending people. And Sugi says, oh, yeah, the peacekeepers who can't keep the peace. Exactly. Which, yeah. Whoa. So there's an interesting element of that, as well as the fact that out of all of the Jedi, the ones who are the outliers amongst the ethical concerns, the teachings of the Jedi are these three. That is pretty true. So you have a real crew of misfits that come together. And also each one has like crazy weird skills, you know? They do. They're each bringing something different to mm -hmm. the fight, whether it's strength or ingenuity or skill with weapons or just pluckiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that was fun. 
Um, was that, would you say, characteristic of the film of Akira Kurosawa? Of of the original Seven Samurai, as well as, um, for example, The Magnificent Seven, which is a spaghetti Western a few years later. It's an American movie that tells a very similar story of you get together like seven cowboys of various states of like different skills. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of movies and this trope continues on. I mean, it's the Ocean's Eleven kind of thing. You get together a whole bunch of like a Mm -hmm. weird ensemble crew. Everyone's bringing something. Mm -hmm. And this is really fun because there are four bounty hunters and three Jedi. So we do have our group of seven. Exactly. I have that circled in my notes, just a big number seven. And they, they reference that. They said, but there's only seven of us. Yeah, they mentioned the numerical disadvantages Mm -hmm. multiple times yeah because that also goes back to the original work now another interesting one is the as you remarked the training of the villagers is such a so such a fun stereotype i love it it's the rocky montage any action movie i think has a training montage where Mm -hmm. everyone's getting organized they're getting their ducks in a row Mm -hmm. there's camaraderie there's mishaps like it's just my favorite pure trope Mm -hmm. it brings me joy (laughs) and i don't know why and i can't explain it it's it's comforting in the way that the jedi i think should be Mm. because if a jedi shows up in your life it's like hopefully a once in a lifetime experience because that means that there's almost certainly going to be like in at least in this context violence inflicted somewhere whether it's upon you or near you, and you don't want to be part of that. No one wants to be part of that. And so when a Jedi comes and they train you, that's like, okay, now I'm able to take on the rigors of the day by myself mm-hmm. without relying on these external deus ex machinas to show up. And there's something nice too, which is that in the cinematography experience, it's usually the calm before the storm. Yes. So we as the viewers know that there is a big conflict about to Mm -hmm. happen. But in this moment, everything feels kind of safe and there's someone in charge and your only job is to learn as well as you can. Yes. I love that. And the same training montage is repeated. I mean, it's even repeated again in The Mandalorian, in the episode where they're in a swamp planet. And Oh my God, yeah. I did definitely want to talk about the reverberations yeah. in Mando season two. But then also with Kurosawa is a movie called, um, I believe it's called The Forbidden Fortress. And that has been definitely referenced as one of the original works from which the original Star Wars movie comes from Hmm. because it is about a princess who gets captured and put in a castle and these two dudes have to go rescue her and then they end up like destroying the castle and there's a lot of back and forth and it's like the plot notes are pretty much the same Mm -hmm. in original Star Wars so obviously this is a really important thing because it captures those archetypes of storytelling yeah And it's nice that this is such a self-contained episode. It's a standalone episode. Everything is packed into 22 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it really gives you the highs and the lows of that experience. And it introduces some really unique and interesting characters. I believe the only one we see again is Embo. Oh. Maybe Sugi. I was expecting to not see any of them again. They felt like one-hit wonders in a way. Well, so... It was referenced that they were going to have Embo die, but he was too cool. Oh, no way. Yeah. Like and a Martuk moment. Yeah. And 
the other thing that I thought was interesting, I was reading up on that shuttle, the T6 shuttle, because in the previous episode we recorded of this podcast, you remarked how cool it was and how much you liked it. And I was like, oh yeah, what's up with the Jedi T6 shuttle for Sam's Naval History Minute or whatever? And it's David Filoni just loved it. He's like, it's a way better ship than the Twilight, so we no just started way. using it way more. Yeah, it just looks cooler. It looks more like a Jedi ship. So Dave we use it for Filoni that kind of thing. has got taste. <laughs> Impeccable taste. Um, this episode did feature my favorite joke of the season so far. So Ahsoka is putting her lightsaber up at the bounty hunters in the Mm -hmm. first moment that they all meet. And I, maybe it's Embo who says, Embo says, yeah, thank you for, that was flawless. I really Mm -hmm. like your enunciation on that. I think you've got a really good Emboese. Yeah. 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 You sound like a native. Actually, it's, uh, he's a Gyazin, Goyuzin, and I believe that's the name of the samurai in, like, the, the protagonist. Yeah, his species is named after the, like, chief protagonist in Seven Samurai. But anyway. Oh, that's so cool. Someone is referencing that they've got Anakin outnumbered four to one. Mm-hmm. So Ahsoka says, four to one? Don't you mean four to two? And then the bounty hunters are like, we don't count you knee high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I think it was, um, what's his name? Serapan? Serapan? Serapan, yeah. Who? So that's a funny character. It is extremely funny because Serapan is even smaller than Ahsoka. Yeah, he is a like giant hulking suit of armor, and the actual alien inside fits inside the head. He looks like a naked mole rat or like a naked flying squirrel. He looks like Dobby from Harry Potter. He's a little, oh, yes, he does. He's like a little oh, Dobby yes, creature. he does. <laughs> Anyway, it's a great joke. Yeah, yeah. There are layers in that joke, mm-hmm. and I appreciate them. Yeah. So this is, this is a fun one. There's cool stuff in it. I want to talk about the landscape oh, of yes, Felucia. Felucia. First of all, Felucia, we got to see it briefly at the beginning of the Holocron arc mm-hmm. when Ahsoka has to get evac'd out. And it's so beautiful, and things are simultaneously lush mm-hmm. and green and pink and then spiny and deserty. Yeah. And I've just never seen a landscape that looks like that before. Yeah. I felt like it was a really big planet. Mm. So in exoplanetology, you can have really big, big planets and if they aren't particularly dense then the gravity is not going to be horrible and in the star wars universe the gravity is always the same on every planet so the idea of a planet that is just enormous Mm. like big enough to fit like you know a whole other planet surface could be swallowed inside of it is what vibe i get from felucia particularly because it's apparently a jungle planet which is not like a forest planet it is a jungle jungle. yeah once you go off the beaten path you have no idea what you're going to run into and it also has monsters of scale. Oh, yeah. Like that jungle rancor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that thing was 35 feet high. It would make a Jedi a snack. Also, I really started to get the Japanese influence when we hit the village mm-hmm. that most of the story takes place on because of those beautiful pods 
they had like the clean bamboo floors and they yeah. felt minimalist. Yeah. I and there's gardens everywhere. It's just they're light and airy and I've never loved Star Wars architecture more. Mm-hmm. Like I think I found the village that I want to colonize <laughs> in the Star Wars universe. There's also a lot of that in the scoring of this episode. Oh. There's a lot of not quite like full-on Japanese rhythms and mm. flutes, but they're there. There's hints of them throughout. It's, it's noticeable as, particularly in the training montages. The full orchestra was really noticeable on this episode. Mm-hmm. I remember even writing as a note the final scene when everyone is kind of reconvening in the village center. They've vanquished Hondo and mm-hmm. his crew. And the score behind that moment is so victorious and so full Mm-hmm. It really feels like something special went into the production of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And it is one of, I think, two episodes we've seen so far that has a slightly different intro. The original, the Clone Wars movie has a slightly different intro because we're playing mm-hmm. in over background chatter. Mm-hmm. And then there was actually the Blue Shadow virus arc that has a different intro because we immediately go in watching uh, the background story. And this one has that red text it does now fast forward a couple of seasons we're going to start to see some changes in the text of the episodes moving forward which is meaningful and so when you see something with red text or you see something that like has for example the lucasfilm logo instead of the normal star wars logo it means something completely different okay and i don't think we see that before season seven but in season seven it hits like a ton of bricks okay That's good to know. The red color actually made me a little nervous when it came on. Absolutely. And I think that that actually set a little bit of the tone for the episode because it was a surprisingly lighthearted episode, all things considered. It was. The sense of danger was somehow mitigated. Like, it was a pretty scary fight scene. They're running around. The pirates come in and they're riding speeder bikes. They're going very fast. Mm -hmm. You have to have all these, like, Endor moments where it's like, oh, we drop a tree on them or we do this, that, the other Mm -hmm. thing. And there's a lot of death. You know, there's a lot of pirates sliding into things at 100 miles an hour. But at least when I was watching, I felt removed from that action and from the urgency of it. It was a funky contrast because Mm -hmm. the village is trashed by the end of the episode, but also, we've met Hondo Onaka and the Weequay before, and they are not all that scary. I mean, they're yeah. good at their jobs, but they're just not that scary. I think they were scarier in this one than in the previous arc, actually. The scariest thing they did in the Count Dooku arc was basically capture Count Dooku, mm-hmm. and then they just sat around and drank. And in this case, uh, the scariest thing was that Kowakian monkey lizard driving the Whoa. tank and like... I mean, that is what killed the sniper, and that is what took Embo out of the fight, was this little monkey lizard running around roughshod on things is crazy. The totally unfair advantage, having a demon monkey. Mm-hmm. I, that's why that's why all the, the crime lords keep them around, because you never know what they're going to do. But if you, you know, they'll sit around and like jabber at things or sit on your shoulder and jabber at things. But then as soon as it comes time to defend you, it's like a mini concentrated Jar Jar Binks that you fling at your enemies and they just get in their faces and cause mayhem. Yes, exactly. So I did also get major Lurman flashbacks in this episode. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Yeah. It's so striking to me to draw that contrast between the Lurman villagers 
from the Anakin injured arc to these villagers in this episode, because mm-hmm. the Lurman villagers were so strictly adhered to pacifism and they had a real thrust behind their beliefs. These villagers in this episode, it's not that they were concerned about what fighting would mean for them as a people. It's more that they didn't have the confidence to Mm -hmm. believe that they could be effective. Exactly. Which is interesting because in that sense, the major conflict for them is fighting imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like man versus self, I guess, Mm -hmm. if we're going to go into literary theory. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of conflict we have. It's villagers versus this feeling that they're not going to be effective. I think that man versus self might also be one of the important themes of the original source work, because if you are a Ronin, in order to rehabilitate your image, or even in like the Magnificent Seven, you know, you've got these like alcoholic cowboys who like you can't wake up out of where they are under a tree until you like sober them up and they need to defend a village or something is the same thing Mm. over and over again we find these people who seem to need rehabilitation and that's definitely somewhat like not part of this story although bounty hunters generally do have a negative reputation but i mean anakin is there and everyone seems to be rehabilitated through their actions yeah It's fascinating to me because on the surface, it feels like such a shallow reason not to fight, just Mm -hmm. to think, oh, well, I wouldn't be good at that. So I just wouldn't even begin to learn how to do it. And then I look at my life and all the things that I don't do because I don't think I'm going to be good at them. Yeah. And that is extremely hashtag relatable. And I'm a little embarrassed about how much I relate to this feeling of needing someone to teach you the thing Mm -hmm. before you have the confidence and courage to do it. Absolutely. That has been something which has also plagued me recently. I had a tough week at work last week and I part of it was that I needed to like take on a new problem. And I've been out of the office for almost two years now. And it's like, oh, I need to learn how to do this new problem. I need to learn this. I asked for help. No one was able to offer me help. and I had to strike it out on my own and solve it myself. And that's the type of thing I used to do every day with no problems, but I'm out of practice. Mm. And the idea of facing these problems was surprisingly emotionally difficult. And I can really see where these little little turtle people are coming from. But that's where it's so redeeming because they have Mm -hmm. this opportunity to practice. And it is the practice that makes them capable. Absolutely. And like, really, that is what the villagers had at the end was that they had taught themselves to be capable. They had. And I think that is the message of the final sentence that the leader Cassie, mm-hmm. Casey speaks, which is that for the first time that I can remember, my people no longer have to be afraid. Yeah. And if that's what the Jedi can bring, that is good. I don't Also, I don't know if the bounty hunters could have done it without the Jedi. I don't think so. And I don't think the bounty hunters would have taught the villagers. And so I think they Mm -hmm. finally did live up to Sugi's insult, Mm -hmm. which is, oh, the peacekeepers who can't keep peace. Well, here we go. Now we've got peacekeepers who trained these villagers Mm -hmm. to keep the peace. So... I I keep referencing the High Republic books. I think that they're pretty important as far as seeing the history of the Jedi as a military force, because that is the topic at hand for the entire Clone Wars. And one of the things is that the Republic has historically not had a military. In fact, like that is what happened at the end of episode two, Attack of the Clones. Mm -hmm. I am authorizing a grand army of the Republic because before this, they didn't have an army. Mm. And this is the type of thing that the 
Jedi would probably be called upon to do. And what's interesting about it is like, this is the kind of thing that the CIA does. We send people to a country and we say, you have to, we're going to train you to fight for yourselves. And granted, we also have some like real secret squirrels spooks there, like doing crazy secret stuff. And that's what like the bounty hunters and the Jedi are seven of them. And then plus 200 lightly trained villagers is enough to defend themselves against mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And it goes to show that that is an effective strategy for this type of problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the poor Hondo is sitting there on his like razor thin profit margins trying to like, you know, and that's what he's saying at the end. This effort is no longer profitable because he's like, man, I lost six speeders and a tank and 20 dudes and like the psyllium's only worth like three quarters of that i'm hardly making fuel back oh my god poor hondo Hondo. yo i feel so bad for this pirate who swoops in and steals these good people's livelihoods they put in all the work and he's the middleman that sounds awfully a lot like communism like the condo is sitting there saying, yes, I deserve the fruits of your labors because I am acting as a middleman for you. You get to keep your lives and I get to keep your profits. Holy shit. That's, that's exactly <laughs> what, you know, all sorts of people say all the time to people who are like, work for them. You know, you get to keep your life and in exchange, I give you a modicum of healthcare and enough pay to like keep a roof over your head and a and food in your belly as long as you don't act up too much. This episode's spicy take <laughs> on Onaka is the worst kind of capitalist. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of the best because he's honest, you know? This is true. Yeah. This is true. And this effort is no longer profitable as parting words because there's so many times when, you know, a company or a a mining company, for example, will go into some place and they'll be like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to blow up your mountaintops. We're going to take all your coal. We're going to take all your diamonds, whatever. And we're going to leave. And we know we said we were going to pay for cleanup and yada, yada, but we aren't because now we're bankrupt. Now we're a new oil company. Now we're a new mineral company or we're a new country. And at least Honda's like, yeah, I, I just, I'm just not making enough money. So I'm going to bounce. And like, when you put those words to it, it sounds ridiculous. But in reality, that's exactly what's happening in all the other times as well. Honest, <laughs> give me a look. I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> I want to talk about Embo. Okay. Embo is the coolest. Embo is the coolest. Right, I'm done talking about Embo. <laughs> oh my gosh. Embo, Embo's, Embo's amazing. His fighting. There's a few scenes where, like, he's running towards someone. They're shooting at him. He puts his head down like a bull and rushes them. Blasters ricochet off his hat because he has a huge circular Captain America shield hat. Yes, that is what it is. He jumps up in the air, does a quintuple axle, like, whatever gymnastic move so he's spinning and his feet <laughs> he are in the air he does this simone biles yeah he simone biles himself up in the air his head is facing towards his enemy and then he like throws his hat at them there's there's one point where he throws his hat at someone and they shoot at someone else yeah it it's like pure like he Jedi does an skill. obi-wan yeah. it's incredible he is, and then he's uh he jumps on top of a speeder bike and he like grabs one of the weak way by like his eyebrows yes. and is like 
steering him as he's driving around, like shooting this guy's friends and he jumps off. He is, he pulls like cool Jedi moves without being a Jedi. He is 11 out of 10. So much fun to watch. And I think that there's, you know, there's so many people and we talked about this with, uh, with Chris in the interview, in the retrospective, that there's a lot of people who have a connection to the force without being a Jedi. Yeah. And so far, we seem to have seen it in like pilots and stuff, but Embo seems to really have that connection with the Force, which is like the, the physicality. The reflexes, the physicality, mm-hmm. the athleticism, the grace. Mm-hmm. He is so fun to watch. Yeah. And so he definitely got retconned into being extraordinarily important. He's like the second most uh, famous bounty hunter what? of the era. Well, yeah, because keep in mind in this era that Boba Fett is like nine years old. Yeah. yeah. Not exactly active yeah. in the guild So yet. you got you got Cad Bane. And then Embo. And then Embo. And then Aura Singh. Okay. Neat. Yeah. Who will we will also see real soon. So. Neat. Yeah, some cool characters. Since we're talking about the bounty hunters, mm-hmm. I do want to talk about Suki mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan. Yeah, they have a fun dynamic. They have a very fun dynamic. So first of all, Suki is very scrupulous for a bounty hunter. I think that's the point she's trying to make. Is She's like, I'm basically a gun for hire, but like, if you hire me... I'm working for you, you know? Yeah, and I, I found it actually very off-putting at first. Really? Because it didn't seem to mesh with her role. So her role was to be the leader of this kind of like disreputable gang of bounty hunters. But then it also felt like the show writers were trying to shoehorn her into this Jedi counterpart. Mm-hmm. Where she was also extremely ethical and moral. And at first I was like... This is ridiculous. But then I thought about the other bounty hunters that I know. One of them is Mando. Yeah. Mando also has an extremely clear and pragmatic ethical code and has never injured someone that he didn't intend to injure Mm -hmm. and protects the babies and protects the villagers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I can actually really get behind Sugi's character because I can see the parallels that being a bounty hunter doesn't mean you necessarily have to be a bad person. Now, an interesting thing with that is that as a bounty hunter, your word, your bond, your contract that you mm-hmm. take on is what separates you from being a pirate. Yes. Right? Because as soon as like if she's sitting here and she's like, oh, yes, I will take Honda's offer of double my money to tr- to not do anything. She's a pirate. Mm-hmm. And so... Oh, that a, line is so thin and easy to cross. Yes. And I wonder if there is either a subtle or allegorical or unintentional description there between like a Jedi and a Sith. Mm. Because to the layman, you'd have a hard time comprehending the difference. Because you're like, well, can't you just feel like your emotions? Can't you just like be attached to one thing? What if you like own your lightsaber? And the Jedi is sitting here and they're like, no, no, it's extremely important that I follow this path. And the Sith mm-hmm. is saying, and it's extremely important I follow this path. And where they intersect is where you run into problems. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, I thought that was quite refreshing. What it- I also find interesting with that is because her foil is Obi-Wan. Yes. That he is the one who at the beginning is like, no, we don't care. We have to not care. And that is almost off-putting for his character. But it was in the context of being a Jedi, it makes sense. It makes sense. It's just surprising because we haven't seen a lot of that Obi-Wan 
recently. We've it's seen been a while, yeah. We've seen him back Anakin up in the Blue Shadow Virus arc. I mm-hmm. mean, we've seen him be extremely generous and lenient. And so to see him really adhere in a hardline way to, no, we have to report the news of this medical station being out of contact, it was also kind of strange for him. And then he and Sugi are outside of the barn having this conversation. She's like, please stop mansplaining my job to me. I know how to defend this village. And at that point... General, and and that's a a bit of a recruitment for her as well, because at that point, Kenobi hadn't signed on to defending the village. It was only Anakin and Ahsoka. And she's like, why are you telling me how to do my job when you aren't part of the job? Exactly. General. But then by the end of the episode, was Obi-Wan flirting with Sugi? Like, was he he flirting with her the whole time? Yeah, he was flirting with her the whole time. That's where it got so interesting to me, their dynamic, because they're foils, they're bouncing off of each other intellectually and philosophically. And also, I think they were into each other. (laughs) You know, another thing that I really appreciated about this episode as I'm watching it is I'm trying to learn everyone's names. Yes. And instead of like, ah, yes, this is so-and-so, we are, as the audience, brought along. And so, like, when we learn that Serapis is uh, actually just a little tiny dude, mm-hmm. it's because he's, like, lifting something. It's too heavy for him. He falls over. His suit gets crushed. And as that happens, Ahsoka's like, Serapis, no! And she, like, jumps towards him. That's the first time you hear his name. Yes, it and is. And the same thing happens throughout the rest of the time. It's as if introductions have already been made, and we, as the audience are being carried along for the journey and they all know each other. And I think that is important because the introductory stage takes away from the drama of the situation. Mm. And the introductions are such an important part of Star Wars because there's always like, hello there. Ah, yes, Kenobi. Like there's this back and forth. General Grievous, you're shorter than I expected. And Dooku, uh, you know, saying twice the pride, double the fall, like... Or sup bags when they mess with him on his ship. Like every time they're always introducing themselves as opposed to, in this case, avoiding that makes them all seem closer together. It does. It really weaves us into their story in a really intentional but selective way. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was nice. Yeah, this episode has a lot of interesting subtleties in it as far as tone that I found interesting. Hmm. Just like that that it was rather action-packed, but also didn't feel particularly high stakes. Right. It didn't feel dark, and mm-hmm. that was very refreshing. Now, Cad Bane, I really needed a palate cleanser yeah. after the Holocron arc. He's just so freaking scary. Yeah. And I gotta say, if they had, you know, heaven forbid, but if they had showed up and, like, killed off Ahsoka in this episode, it would have been such an insane tone shift for the whole art, for the whole series, right? But that's like a George R. R. Martin thing. You know, you have this like, oh, hey, yeah, things are really dangerous, but we've been through worse things before. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, whoa, we just had a major character die off. So the fact that they didn't have that made it seem like a perhaps a little bit less of a high stakes episode because you knew that would never happen. You knew that. Oh, yeah. Like, we are with George yeah. Lucas over here. We are not over there in the George R. R. Martin yeah. fandom. Thank right, God. Right. And we did lose a bounty hunter. And I think that in the source materials, we would have lost a bounty hunter, or one of the seven as well, because that's an important part of the yeah. story. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting episode. I really enjoyed it. Is it that time? Time for Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. 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 
Who's your bay? I'm a little nervous. Why are you nervous? Because I think you might have my bay. My bay is Embo. Your bay is Embo? Is your bay Embo? No. Okay, good. Yeah. My bay is Embo. Because he's a efficient bounty hunting monster. Because you know me, he's the most fun one to watch. He's a tall one. Well, he is tall. He does have an extremely cool hat. Like I promised you. Happy last Cool episode. Hat Tuesday. Oh, yeah. So this is the first episode that you hadn't seen. Yeah. Uh, in like since we started this project. Yes. So this was brand new to me. Yeah. New Hat Tuesday. New Hat Tuesday. So that is another rule for getting onto Baywatch is cool hats. Well, Martuk had a cool hat, but he wasn't even in the running from my Baylist. <laughs> no, Embo is just so efficient and capable and unexpected. He's got this cool fighting style. I think what I love the most is actually when they spot the scout at the top of the ridge, mm -hmm. Sugi just says Embo. Like she knows that Embo is the one in her crew yeah. who's going to be able to take care of the situation quickly, efficiently, effectively. Mm -hmm. That news is not getting back to Hondo if Embo's on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, out of all of them, when Embo's wounded, that's like the... The that's moment. the turning point that's for the battle. That's when things get serious. Yeah, yeah. Their, their tank is down. Yeah. And I just really have a soft spot for the strong, silent type. Mm -hmm. I've never really had the confidence to be that, mm -hmm. to exist in a situation and not feel like I have to be anything but myself. Yeah. And Embo just feels complete in and of himself in that moment. And he doesn't have to play act or bring anything to the situation but his skills and talents and abilities yeah that's cool man that is cool i'm glad he gets the nod team embo embo cultists you know embo forever yeah embo's a lot of fun who's your bay oh um it's tough it's a toss-up it's gonna be anakin anakin again mm -hmm. wow i was thinking ahsoka but Ahsoka and Anakin have the same thing going on in this episode, which is that they uh, maybe it's, it's like plot sense a little bit. They hmm. know that like they can't leave this village to be undefended. And in a way that is living truer to the Jedi code. And in this episode, so in this watch through, I've been paying a special attention to how Obi-Wan is basically acting as a high level general. Yes. And Anakin does Anakin things. Ahsoka does Ahsoka things. In this episode, Obi-Wan was a high-level general and Anakin was a Jedi. Mm. And he said, pirate, like, because in the previous episode, when they were looking for Cad Bane, Anakin's like, oh, yeah, it's an old trick we, old Jedi trick we used to catch smugglers. Mm -hmm. And so, obviously, that is what the Jedi have been doing is going after smugglers, going after pirates. As the war has burnt throughout the galaxy, those... Uh, elements have risen, you know, and that's what has given mm -hmm, rise to Hondo's mm -hmm. ability to come in. So two years before this event, if Hondo had shown up on Felucia, it would have been Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka wow. to go take care of yeah. it. And absolutely, they would have trained the villagers to defend themselves. Absolutely, they would have, you know, set up and done the right things. And absolutely, they would have also negotiated with the pirates and been like, hey, you can't can't be doing this because these people are under the Jedi's protection and they're also under their own protection. They would have stood up for the good common person. Absolutely. And 
Obi-Wan is strained past that point as a Jedi. Oh. Mm-hmm. But Anakin has bent so far around that he's touching it again. <laughs> he's, he's so involved with people. He's so unwilling to let go of his relationships with people and protecting people that he can't imagine not spending lives that aren't his to spend. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. So that's my story. Sticking to it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Anakin is like the most important character of the first six films and like probably the entire Clone Wars. I'm pretty sure he shows up in almost every episode of the Clone Wars. So, Neat. Yeah, he should he should be up there in the ranking. And, oh, yeah. Well, uh, he's gaining on Obi-Wan now. So yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah. Oh, it's a good pick. I mean, I'm feeling very like soft and warm towards Anakin right now. And I know that's going to change, mm-hmm. but I'm also tired of being mad at Anakin all the time. So I'll accept Anakin on Baywatch. Yeah, it's, it's nice and it won't last. So yeah. let's like savor it while I can. And it's not like Embo's strictly a good guy. He's just been tasked to do a good thing. Oh, Embo's not a good guy. Yeah. I just really like him. He's very cool. <laughs> that's all you need to be on Baywatch. Yeah. All right, y'all. I think that about wraps it up. Thanks for joining us for New Hat Tuesday. New Hat Tuesday. As always, you can find us on social media at Growing Up Skywalker. If you like the show, please leave us a review on your podcast app. Or send it to the tall, strong person in your friend group. Who who, refuses to speak the language. Who refuses to speak the language, but you feel like they'll like the show anyway. Or send it to the person who is able to call out people for mansplaining them things to her. Oh my god, yes. (laughs) 100% yes. Yes, do that. And if you'd like to get access to fun goodies, including having your name read on the show, you can support us on Patreon. And as always, if you have any questions, send us a listener holocron. We're at growingupskywalker at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. What's happening next episode? Oh, some more new ones that you haven't seen before. We've got two episodes, and it's the Zillow Beast. The Zillow Beast. With two L's. Yeah. So... It's the Zillow Beast arc, season two, episodes 18 and 19. Zillow Beast. And then we'll be back to the regular chronology. Zillow Beast. Zillow. See you next Tuesday. Zillow. Bye.